Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Outdoor PM School podcast, where we explore product management careers in the outdoor industry. We talk with PMs from top outdoor industry brands and ask them about their career path, what it's really like to be a PM, and any advice they would give others aspiring to follow the same path. My name is Dawson Westensko, and I'll be your host. During this episode, I talk with Alex Bayeres, the Senior Manager of Category Management at Yeti. Alex was born in El Salvador and immigrated to the U.S. at a young age. He was introduced to the outdoors by a close friend and quickly fell in love with hiking, backpacking, and rafting. After starting out in the credit card industry, Alex got his break joining the production team at Mountain Hardware. Alex worked his way into product development and eventually product management. This episode is brought to you by OutdoorPMSchool.com, an eight-week online course designed for aspiring outdoor industry product managers. Check out OutdoorPMSchool.com to learn more about who we are and how we can help. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the podcast, and thanks for being here today. Hey, Dawson. Uh, Great to be here. Thanks for making the time. I appreciate it. I know you're on PTO at the moment, and so it's uh, it's nice to have you here. Currently, just to give everybody a quick introduction, you're currently the senior manager of category management at Yeti, a brand that you know most, if not all, of our listeners are very familiar with. To start off, maybe you could just walk us through a little bit of your career, how you got into the industry, and how you ended up at Yeti. Yeah, absolutely, and and thanks again for having me. Um, yeah, so I've been at Yeti now for about five years, and it's it's been a, a great place. I got it here a little bit um, a little bit when the brand was still growing. Um, but I guess if if I may, I'd, I'd like to kind of go back um, a little bit farther and, and talk about my upbringing. Really, I was born in El Salvador, um, and my family moved to the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, when I was in fourth grade. So I was, I believe, eight or nine years old at the time. Mm. Um, and you know, my my family kind of. Uh, uh, Latino family, Salvadoran family. Um, our idea of the outdoors was was really more around playing soccer um, in whether it was in leagues or pickup games. It was some mm. tailgating, watching games, um, certainly picnicking, a lot of gatherings with family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a little bit different. It wasn't until I was a teenager that um, I sort of got my my passion for the outdoors, if you will. And actually, a really good friend of mine that I'm still friends with, um, and a, a bunch of other guys that we went to uh, to school with. Um, he basically asked me to go out on a hike when I was, uh, it wasn't until I was about 15 that I, you know, did my, my first official hike. Um, and it was, uh, just sort of, a one of the regional parks in the Bay area. He just said, Hey, let's, let's go to the mountains and kind of walk around. And, you know, at the time sort of with, with my background and, and upbringing, I was like, that sounds a little bit strange. Um, that's different <laughs> from what I'm used to. Um, but I, I took him up on it cause I, it's a guy that I trust tremendously, um, and we ended up going for, you know, just a couple hour hike in the hills of the, the East Bay. And it was awesome. It was a, an amazing experience. And it, it just sort of got wet my appetite. And, and soon enough, um, we were planning backpacking trips. So we ended up doing like week long backpacking trips in the Sierra and Yosemite in the Tahoe area. We were planning rafting trips. Um, we were planning all kinds of different things. So really my, my, I guess, late teenage years and into college was really when I started getting into the outdoors um, and eventually I, I was actually working for a credit card company, um, through college and realized that that was not something I was passionate about. It was actually something I, I disliked, um, just, you know, it's, it's not the, the most fulfilling life in the world. Um, at least for me, it wasn't, I'm sure it is for a lot of people, but it wasn't for me. 
and thinking to a lot of those trips that I was taking with my buddies, you know, doing some mountain biking, doing kind of anything that I, that we could um, do to get outside. Uh, it sort of led me down the path of quitting that job. Um, I actually tried to get into becoming a park ranger um, with a couple of districts on the East Bay for, for a couple of months or a few months. Um, and eventually led in, led me to outdoor retail. Um, so I worked at a ski shop for, for a couple of years in the Bay Area, um, mm-hmm. any mountain. Um, and through that, I just sort of, I kept sort of, I guess, digging into, all right, this is something pretty cool. This is something I think I want to do long term. Um, and it, it did lead me to actually applying at Mountain Hardware um, three separate times for three different jobs. And then the uh-huh. third time I ended up getting a, a what was honestly the, the best of the three options or the best of the three jobs in a, on a production team as a production coordinator. And then I kind of worked my way through that. Yeah. Very, so, I, so I have a couple questions for you. Yeah. The first one is, you know, thanks for sharing your background. Um, and super interesting to hear about that experience and kind of how you were introduced to the outdoors. I'm just curious, you know, how did your family view that or how does your family view that has, you know, did, did you bring other members of your family along with you so that they kind of made some of those discoveries as well and are interested in the outdoors or did they sort of, is it sort of like, yeah, Alex is, is a little bit, he, he, he's the guy that likes to go out and spend time in the outdoors, but we're, we're not so much that way. That's a great question, Dawson. And yeah, I would say that, um, my family has gotten more comfortable with it over the years. Uh, my mm-hmm. mom is, she's actually in her eighties. So, you know, she, she sort of, mm-hmm. uh, she has her way of doing things and, and love her. Um, but she doesn't, uh, like the idea of camping, uh, or, or sleeping outside. Um, mm-hmm. so I would say that especially when early on, when I was doing some of those week long backpacking trips with my buddies, um, there was a little bit of concern on their side of, Hey, mm-hmm is it safe out there? Are you going to be okay? And, and I think, uh, soon enough, they sort of understood that it's actually safer out mm-hmm. in the wild than it is in, in most cities and, you know, mm-hmm. driving to work most days. Um, so I think they, they sort of understood that. Um, and my brother, I have an older brother who's three years older. Um, he actually has come rafting with, uh, with me and my buddies a couple of mm-hmm. times and, and he, you know, he's certainly open and, and willing to spend a night outside. Um, He's absolutely open to camping. It's not his first choice by any means. Um, right. I think he, he certainly um, appreciates the that just being outside and then sort of breathing some fresh air. Mm-hmm. It is it is very interesting. And you and I have talked about um, you know my experience. Lived in Chile for a few years, and so I'm right. pretty familiar with you know know a lot of folks from that part of Latin America. And it is interesting to see the diversity of people's experiences, you know, by country. And I think sometimes we tend to think that Latin Americans have the same experience, but in Chile, backpacking and camping is very common. Right. And part of the reason is in the Southern part of Chile, you have Patagonia. Yes. They also have a region that's called the Lake district. And a lot of it's sort of a coming of age for Chileans. They go down there during the summers and they sort of, you know, bum around the lake country. A lot of people have family that live down there. So they go and, you know, drink mate in El Campo and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, enjoy that. And so that's, it's, it's fairly common. And again, just very interesting, different countries have different, you know, perceptions of those types of activities. So. So true. Yeah. That's, that's a really great point. Um, in Latin America, when you think about Latin America and, you know, Spanish speaking countries or Latin influence, yeah. You have a huge range. Chile is a great example. Argentina. Um, and working at Mountain Hardware, I actually I did get to uh, 
to interact with some of our either sales teams or even some of our athletes that spent a lot of time in South America. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it kind of varies almost by, by country or region. It really. can be very, very different though. Yeah. And then, so then I'm also curious to jump forward, you know, it's interesting. So your first job with mountain hardware again, so this was on the production side and okay. this was early enough in the mountain hardware story that they were doing some of their production in the U S which I had sort of forgotten about. Yeah. So, so what was that like? Yeah, so um, we had at the time, so this was basically 2005 that I started working there, um, and we still had three factories, cut and sew factories in the Bay Area um, that we were working with. Um, so when I came on board, um, there was a little bit of work. We we had a, another guy that was really focused on working with the local factories, but I did have some interactions with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely some kind of, so some of the fleece products, um, were being made there. Uh, and, and yeah, it was, it was actually kind of cool just, you know, riding around and, and driving with some of the team to visit the factories and, and seeing sort of firsthand before I, I got to take trips to Asia and, and other places to mm-hmm. see a, a larger scale production. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's still a little bit of sew, cut and sew happening in the Bay area now, uh, in other area and yeah, kind of spread out throughout. I think parts of the country, uh, but obviously it's pretty small scale to what um, is is done overseas. Right. So I'm, uh, you know, it's interesting in retrospect, it's easy to go back and see what you were able to learn from being involved in production. It might not be clear to everybody that hasn't worked in product management or product creation, but having experience seeing how things are made really helps frame you know, your, your perception of like making product and being part of that process. You know, at least that's been my experience. I remember the first trip to Asia, it blows you away what things are done manually and how it's all actually put together. Mm -hmm. At least it did for me. And so after you worked in production for a while, what was the, what was the evolution? I mean, how did you, did you know at that point that product management was interesting or, or how did you find product management after starting in production? Yeah, so in production, um, you know, the, the role that I had at, at Mount Hart was a, a bit of a mixed role on the production side. It was kind of a planning slash buyer role. Um, so I would get to work quite a bit with with the different teams, with the product management and development team, which mm. was a, a tiny team. Um, if I think back to the equipment team, it was basically two guys that sat in a, a room behind us, uh, which the production team was a team of four, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Um but yeah, just sort of that interaction, um, especially in the equipment side, really got me kind of interested in, in how things were working. And, you know, as I was kind of going out on, on backpacking trips and, and camping and doing different things, it kind of led me down uh, just an interesting thought process of, hey, these guys are or the guys that are obviously having a huge impact and developing and, and sort of making a product happen. I sit 10 feet from them every day. So whenever I would come back, use some of our gear, you know, kind of quote unquote test some of our gear, I would come back and and have some questions for them or just talk about the product. And it was super interesting. Um, So I think that slowly got me into talking to them more and more. Um, And eventually there was a a job opening for a a backpack developer that came about. And having had that relationship with, with Eric, the product manager at the time, um, he, he basically took a, a chance on me and he said, um, I don't have the experience. He was very honest about me not having the experience and the background to to do that type of job, but he knew me well enough that he was willing to to let me try and, and see how I did. Um, so that got me into development for a few years, which was a, a lot of fun. Yeah, very um, cool. 
obviously you didn't stay in development. You worked there for, for quite a while, but what did you like about development or what did you not like about development? Yeah. And that was actually the cool thing. So um, what I liked about it was sort of that, that product creation process. It was the idea of going to a factory. So I would be going to a factory every couple of months, you know, probably about five, six times a year um, for up to two weeks at a time. And, and really just kind of sitting there, sitting with the pattern maker, sitting with uh, the team that's actually making things uh, from scratch, so to speak. Um, that was super interesting. So it was a, a bit of a give and take um, kind of process of, okay, what if we make the zipper a little bit longer? What if we, we want to add a little bit of stretch to this pocket? So how can we do that? Can we do that through through patterning? Can we do it through different materials? So all of that was super interesting. So on the development side, that was that was a, a great experience, I would say, overall. And it, it's still yeah. something that I, I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for. Um, but being a small team, so really on, on the backpack side, about hardware and, and eventually equipment. Um, but at the time, it was really just two of us. So it was myself and Eric. And Eric would need to travel to see key accounts and you know, do some of the other things that a product manager needs to do. So he would ask me to, to either take another trip to, to Asia because he couldn't make it. Or at trade shows, we would have to divide and conquer whether it was visiting uh, raw material suppliers or whether it was having conversations with media. So even though was, I was a developer, um, because we were such a, a small and, and really scrappy team um, in some ways, it allowed me to kind of step into a, a, a bigger role and, and almost be the, the acting product manager, if you will, um, mm-hmm. even though I was the developer. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting. That's something that I see really commonly that I think isn't clear to people, again, who aren't that familiar with the industry. But when you're working on those smaller teams in those smaller companies, you're doing multiple parts of the process, right? So if that yeah. triangle is product management, development, and design, you know, some product managers are doing all three of those things, right? Right. Even uh, I remember at Thule, I had the experience of doing quite a bit of development, even though the role in the title was category manager or, or product manager. So great introduction into product management to give you kind of a flavor for that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think, what really got me interested in the product management role. Development was one piece of it, as you, as you said, and it's a little bit of you wear multiple hats. But eventually, Eric ended up leading Mount Hardware and that uh, created an opening and and it was one that I think I, I had learned enough that I knew I wanted to go for it and, and lucky enough for me I was uh, I was able to step into that role of product manager mm-hmm. um, and sort of take on that that role that bigger role if you will and when you stepped in you know you had already been doing some of that work and it sounds like you had pretty good visibility into it were there any surprises where you remember in the first six months you were like man I did not know it was going to be like this, either either good or bad. Yeah, um, there were a lot of, I would say, a lot of surprises overall. And and even though I had sort of uh, done pieces of it, doing it full time and, and stepping into it full on, uh, yeah, it it was overwhelming. I mean, honestly, the, especially the first mm-hmm. year, I would say, um, sort of understanding what you know what needed to happen. Um, whereas before, it would be the product manager kind of asking me to do different things or or uh, or stepping in, kind of helping out. Now it was kind of on my shoulders in many ways. Um, certainly, stepping into it and, and kind of having all of it being thrown at me was was probably the best learning experience I could have had. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, of course, and, and I would say overall, just having. Some really great leadership and, and and mentors and people that you could that I could talk to and, and kind of work through with um, 
that were okay with things not being perfect, um, understanding that I would be able to pick it up, understanding that I would get to the point that I needed to. Um, mm-hmm. That was also super helpful. But yeah, it was a, it was definitely a, a big step, I would say. Um, and I was also learning a lot of the other things, you know, as a product manager, and depending on the company, or you will need to step sometimes into a, a, a financial and, and, you know, that PLA, for example, we do have uh, quite a bit of responsibility on our P&L, so we have to understand mm-hmm. um, that very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you also certainly have the, on the media side, you have to work well with PR, obviously with right. design and development, you have to work well with them. At Yeti, we're lucky enough to have a design and development team and an engineering team that's actually pretty pretty built out. Um, mm-hmm. So even though I love kind of getting you know getting in the weeds on some of that stuff, we have a team to take care of that um, pretty yeah. well. But you have to be able to just kind of go from place to place easily. Right, and you've got enough engineered product that it would be challenging for someone without training, you know, specific training to. To, to manage that piece. So going back a little bit, just for people who might not be familiar, you mentioned P&L. And so P&L, again, profit and loss. Um, yes. So so what that really, for, for product managers, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, in my experience, big ownership of margin, especially, uh, right. and some ownership of volume, but, but definitely an overall ownership for the success of the category and the profitability of the category. And yeah, so maybe you can talk a little bit more about that again. And that varies. Some companies... Product managers have a ton of oversight over PL and others don't. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, the, the recap or the summary that you gave is, is exactly it. It's really um, around profitability overall. So it is around the gross margin and, and the way that we look at it. And again, companies may look at it a little bit differently, but we look at our gross margin. Um, so once you obviously pay a factory a certain amount, once you include freight, once you include duties and, and tariffs, and you sort of start obviously chipping away at everything. You ended up with a landed. You end up with a, a landed cost. Um, so once that product is at the distribution center that you're using, it costs you X amount of dollars, and you're selling it to a wholesaler for obviously for a wholesale price, mm-hmm. um, which is all based off of your retail price or your your map as we do at Yeti minimum advertised price. Um, so yeah, it's it's all sort of taking all of that information, making sure that obviously the the company and that the category is profitable, um, mm-hmm. while the prices that we're setting um, for the consumer that the consumer is actually paying are are obviously good and fair prices, and they're right. at the right um, price point, and also that the the discount or the the wholesale price is also appropriate for the retail partners that you right. work with. Yeah, and making um, sure that that pricing drives the volume that you need for efficiencies right. and and all those things to really be profitable. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, so cool. So then you know you spent some time in some different product management, you know, different roles within Mountain Hardware, and you spent how long did you spend there total? Quite a while. Yeah, almost ten years. I was, I think, a couple of months shy of uh, hitting my ten year mark before I got a call from uh, from the store company in Austin, Texas. When you joined was not the Yeti that most people are familiar with today. So what what was that like for you, making that transition? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I had really grown up in the Bay Area. Um, and my wife grew up in California as well. And, and we got married in 2009. Um, so we had sort of been married for a few years. And I got this call uh, from a, a recruiter saying that there was this company in Austin and I had I had heard of Yeti. I had actually had some conversations with uh, with our national sales manager at Mountain Hardware about Yeti um, a few months prior. I think it was sort of the beginning of them starting to show up more and more, and and sort of this idea of how, why are people buying three hundred dollar coolers? What's going on? <laughs> uh, um, so I got this call, and I I 
talked to a couple of people. Um, the VP of marketing at the time was actually the, the person that ended up hiring me. So I had a Skype call with him and a recruiter. And it sounded interesting. I mean, it was at, at a time that I was actually pretty happy at Mountain Hardware and things were going pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it just sort of was an opportunity to go and, and learn a little bit more and, and try to figure out what was happening um, with this company. So uh, they ended up flying me out. Um, I met a bunch of people, including uh, Roy Sears, one of the founders, um, and really just kind of walking through through the office. It was about 100 people at the time and feeling the energy, just sort of getting the overall uh, vibe of this is a pretty cool place. They're doing something really cool out here um, mm-hmm. and they want to do more of it. So uh, it felt right for me. Um, so, yeah, I ended up uh, we ended up making the move and moving out to, to Austin. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit of a hybrid role, correct? That's right. Yeah. So when I came, the so the the role was category manager um, for the softcore category, and the category at the time was was basically a category of two products, um, and the second had just launched, I think, a couple of weeks right before I, I joined the company. Um, so two soft coolers, two sizes, basically. Um, and it was seemingly small, but it was, it was one that um, they were already having a hard time with supply and, and not being able to make enough product because the, the product was, you know, it was that good and people were, were that um, interested in it and that premium of soft cooler. But it was a, a role of category management on the marketing team, which was a little bit different for me. Um, mm-hmm. I had been kind of on, on product slash innovation teams at Mountain Hardware, and I was very used to that structure. So coming into a marketing team, was really cool and and I didn't know what to expect and it was a, a bit of a learning but it was hugely helpful for me and and educational I would say because I was able to to work more closely with a lot of the marketing team um, you know whether it was the community marketing team at the time which was just a couple of people working with some of the the digital people um, the econ people just everybody really on the marketing team we were sort of sitting with them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, because it's obviously a, a category manager, product manager role, um, we had sort of that direct line of communication also with our development team, our engineering team. Yeah. Um, so it was a, a really great experience, I would say, overall. Yeah. Well, and, and it just occurred to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm making some assumptions here. But one thing that I've noticed is it's interesting to see how companies structure teams to see, you know, how they like what they want to drive uh, the organization. Right. And, and so in some ways having your position on the marketing team shows that Yeti takes marketing very seriously. Right. And that, and that, that customer looking, that customer facing part of the business is, is, is foremost in, in the company strategy, which I think is clear from the outside. That's, that's not a secret, but it's just interesting to see that that's the way they structure it. I don't know if that's accurate or not. I would say it is to a degree, and, and that's one of the beauties of, of some of the stuff we're doing at Yeti. Um, so as of about, I want to say, three years, um, might be plus or minus a little bit, we we did move where the, the product management function did move into, a, an, we call it an innovation team, but it is a product mm-hmm. creation team. So mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm more in that structure that I'm used to, and the marketing team is, is separate, although we still work extremely closely with them. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, kind of coming back to, to the point you made, um, the beauty of a lot of what we're doing at Yeti is that the marketing team is, it's a bunch of really smart people. Um, the, the men and women on the marketing team clearly are putting out some really great content, whether it's Yeti Presents, whether it's a lot of our marketing campaigns, different things that they're doing. 
It's incredible. Um, and, you know, a huge amount of respect for, for that crew now and, and even over the years, um, some of the people that have left. Um, but I would say that the product is still king, if you will, mm-hmm. or the product is still at the core of what we do. Um, mm-hmm. So we spend a, a tremendous amount of time and resources on making sure that the product is absolutely as good as it can be. Right. With the teams that we have, we, we do have a really well-built-out product team. Um, we also have an innovation center that actually does a lot of our own internal testing. So whether it's uh, you know a, a tensile test, whether it's a abrasion test or different things, we do our own UV testing. So we mm-hmm. have invested a tremendous amount of money and, and people and resources to for the product side. But yeah, the marketing team is, is also critical. The sales team is critical. So it's mm-hmm. one of those things where every team in the organization, the finance team, I mean, you don't often talk about the finance team, but our finance team is, is pretty stout, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. a pretty great crew of people. So because of that, and everybody sort of has this, you know, this mentality of just doing the best that they can for their function and overall for the company, it's, it's mm-hmm. part of what I think has made, um, has made really succeed in the way that we have. Yeah, that's very cool. And I, you know, to your point, the product has to be top notch to support the marketing. Yes. Right. There's there's no question. It, it, the marketing wouldn't work unless the the product was innovative and highest possible quality. And uh, and yeah, that's that's clear uh, from the outside looking in as well. So so you know, as you mentioned, you've been at the Eddie. You've moved around to a few different roles within sort of that product management or or category management, as as Yeti calls uh, calls it. So for you, you know, what do you like most about being involved in that product creation process. What's the, what's the part of the role that you enjoy the most? I would say that I probably enjoy all of it. Um, and I, and I guess that's probably the, it sounds maybe cliche for a lot of uh, people in the product management world, but it's true that every, every hour, certainly every day um, and every week is different. And that's, that's part of the, the appeal for the job that, yeah, some days you really have to kind of focus in and, and work with the supply team on figuring some stuff out of what's happening with, with inventory and, and other things. Some days or weeks, you're going to be a little bit more uh, into with the finance team on making sure that, you know, the, the things are looking and, and sort of adding up the way that you expect them to. Um, part of my favorite part, and I think why most people get into product management is really on the, on touching, feeling, breaking product as, as uh, much as you can. So spending time with the engineers, with the developers, with the designers mm-hmm. um, is, is a ton of fun. Um, and I guess if, if I would do one thing or spend uh, the majority of my time, it would probably be there just uh, trying to make product better. Um, mm-hmm. But all of it, um, you know, everything kind of has its limits. And, and there are times where I, I will just be looking at the same thing for two weeks straight and then trying to, think of it differently and try to break it different ways um, mm-hmm. to the point that I just need a break. Um, mm-hmm. So as much as I, I love the product that uh, a spreadsheet sometimes and sadly is a, a bit of a, a nice, uh, <laughs> a nice retreat, if you will, uh, but not too long either. Well, and I think it's a, it's a great, it's a great point that if you're someone who likes to do the same thing every day and to know exactly yes. what your day is going to look like, then product management may not be the career choice for you. But if you enjoy that variety and can excel in that type of environment, then it's, it's a lot of fun for that exact reason. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you have to be okay sort of pivoting and changing things. And even when you think things are going exactly how they should go and, and to plan, you, you need to be ready to, 
for it to change on you, um, either yeah. because it's the right thing to do or, you know, for various reasons, you, you, you definitely have to be able to roll with it. Mm-hmm. And you've worked for two, you know, top brands in the industry. I'm sure you've worked on a lot of cool product. As you look back, any products that stand out or any projects that stand out as being, you know, you're really proud of these. You love to show people this product or tell people about this particular product. Uh, yeah, that's that's funny. And uh, some people that, you know, you kind of joke that when when we get asked questions like that, it's a little bit like asking who your favorite child is. Um, and I I get it Um, and for me at least I have a boy and a girl so I have a favorite son and a favorite daughter so it's easy Um, but uh, in terms of product um, you know I've been trying to think about this one a little bit and and I would say some of the athlete collaborations that we did at at Mountain Hardware were were a lot of fun Um, and we did a a line of packs for Ulish Tech um, rest in peace. He, he passed away a few years ago. Um, but back in, basically, I think it was about 2011, 2012, um, he kind of came to us and he wanted to just redo his entire kit. He, he's a, a, a fast, uh, was a fast alpinist. Um, so he did a lot of fast ascents, um, various peaks in, in the Alps um, and also in the Himalaya. And he just sort of came to us just wanting a, a minimalist kit um, that was able to, to get him everything he needed, but no, you know, no extra stuff. And I would say that one of the things that, that I worked on with him, pretty proud of, is uh, what we call the Summit Rocket 20 Vest Pack. Mm. He basically came to us and, and said at the time we were doing some running vests for obviously for ultra runners. And then we also had done a couple of packs for him, but he almost wanted, and it was a, a fairly simple ask. Okay, I want the vest on the front, but then I want a small backpack um, mm-hmm. to be able to carry some of the gear. You know, even even for him who's doing some who was doing some fast ascents, it was a uh, he needed space to be able to to take some of his uh, insulated gear. So that was a ton of fun. I um, mean, it was almost kind of taking the the vest portion of our running vest and then uh, making a smaller backpack. And then also a good example of that kind of scrappy nature of uh, just kind of emailing him, calling him, just trying to figure out, all right, so what do you like? What don't you like? Being at the factory and I am absolutely not a designer, but on that one, we didn't have any resources. So it was basically mm-hmm. me and the pattern maker at the factory just sort of, you know, making it as good as we could. I'm sure mm-hmm. any designer out there right now, if they looked at it, would say that that's a, a terrible product. <laughs> Oh, I'm, sure you, I'm sure you learned it. I'm sure you learned enough through all your years that you did a great job. <laughs> but yeah, I would say that's a, that's one that I'm I'm pretty proud of. Just sort of, a, and it was mostly because of the collaboration with with Uli. Um, and we had a few different examples like that, but that's that's one of my favorites. I would say at Yeti, we we have a ton of awesome products, um, and and we talked a little bit about it a little bit earlier. But we definitely have a great engineering team. We have a lot of different things. And I would say two fairly quick examples come to mind. Um, Sidekick Dry, which is a a relatively simple dry gear case that uses a a magnetic closure. Um, That one was a ton of fun to work on and has also been something that we were able to apply to to one of our coolers that's in market now, a similar magnetic closure. And then more recently, um, within the last few months, we actually just uh, launched an update to a classic really hard cooler, the the roadie. So we have been making the roadie 20 for quite some time. And a couple of years ago, we started looking at it to see what we could do to, to make that cooler, which is, is our best-selling hard cooler, what we could do to make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a, a lot of give and take with the team, um, great design team, our engineering team and development team as well, just trying to figure out what we could do. Because the challenge there was we have this product that people already love, 
And the last thing we want to do is we don't want to mess that up. Obviously, we want to make sure that people love it even more. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one was was harder for for different reasons, and we made some updates that we're pretty happy with. Um, and, mm-hmm. and luckily, consumers have re- uh, they've they've appreciated it, um, and I think it's resonating with a lot of people. And, and part of the goal there was also to be able to reach more consumers, which uh, feels like we've done, and we're going to keep a, obviously a close eye on that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You know, I don't think people quite understand the stress that comes with messing with a best-selling product from the outside. It just seems like, we'll just make it better. It just make right. it better. Yeah. But you know, as we both know, that's not quite the way the process works. And so it's, it's challenging to find a balance between innovating and changing and costing and uh, making sure that you're going to sell more of them instead of fewer of them on those really important styles. And uh, so yeah, that, that can be a real challenge. And you know, your first example, for me at least, that interaction with the customer and knowing that you're really solving a real problem is really appealing and yeah. gratifying, I think, in the product world. And you know, sometimes those aren't the best selling items necessarily. They could be, but but part of what is just so interesting and appealing about it is just again being able to work with that customer, really dig into the activity, understand it, and deliver something that's a great solution is, is really a fun part of the job. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and in that case, it was pretty easy because the customer was Uli. <laughs> it was like, mm-hmm. right. we, know, we know what you want. And obviously, a lot of people um, looked up to him. So we, we sold yeah. a few. It was, it was by no means a, a huge selling product. Um, but yeah. It was one of those that was, yeah, absolutely one that was solving problems for him and the type of climbing he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was a ton of fun for sure. You've worked with a lot of different companies, different teams. What do you see as like a critical attribute to be successful? And this would also go towards a little bit of advice for people who are interested in getting into product management. I would probably say, and it's one that, you know, I, I sometimes struggle with myself and it's, it's something that I don't know, you, you can always, uh, sort of, uh, get right, but discomfort is certainly um, something that I think is important to, to any product creation role, any product creation mm-hmm. team. A lot of what you're doing is is you're trying to push the limits, If obviously, especially if you're, you're doing it right, I would say. But being uncomfortable, it's in, in a good way. Um, I would mm-hmm. liken it to, you know, uh, a first uh, ski run, if, if a black diamond, if you're not, if you're an intermediate skier and you're kind of trying to do a, a little bit of a harder run. Yeah. Um, I would kind of liken it to that. It's almost like this adrenaline uh, excitement of, all right, I might eat it and I might, you know, <laughs> I'd hopefully not get injured, but it, it's one of those things uh, <laughs> where uh, you're uncomfortable to the point that, you know, once you're done with it, you're going to be super excited. But that's one right. thing I would say on, on the product side is, uh, is important. And uh-huh. a lot of what that means is, is also kind of learning and relearning things. It's, uh, yeah. it's an evolving process. What we know today is going to change tomorrow. So in five years, when we're looking back, and we have these conversations all the time, but you know, luckily I've had these conversations with our teams all the time, but we get to a point, it's like, all right, hey, we want to make this better. And often the, com- the comment or the conversation comes up, well, we looked at that two years ago. And yes, true, we absolutely looked at that two years ago, but we didn't know some of the things we know today. So how about we look yeah. at it again? Or how about we think about it maybe a little bit differently? Mm-hmm. Could be new people, could be new technologies, could be a lot of different things that just sort of, uh, I guess, make it worth revisiting. Um, and ultimately, mm-hmm. that's that's what makes the job so great. It's uh you're never really fully satisfied and you're always mm-hmm. looking to make things better. Um, right. It, it never ends. 
comfort with discomfort is a is really a great point. What that reminds me of is you learn pretty quickly in product creation that it's only a matter of time until the next disaster. <laughs> right. And, you know, as the product manager, many times you are at the forefront of trying to deal with that disaster. And I can, you know, I can vividly remember uh, early in my career being in a hotel room in Hong Kong and uh, having, you know, getting news of, of, a, of a big problem. And, you know, you just kind of have to take a deep breath, you know, gather some information and bring the team together to solve the problem. But, you know, that's, it's part of the fun. It's also part of the challenge because it is uncomfortable, but yes. it's only a matter of time until the next thing happens. And so you can, you can also get really good at being the person that keeps, that keeps your head and is able to help guide the team through the next challenge. Because, again, it's only a matter of time. It's, you'll, you'll, if it's not this, it'll be something else, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's very well said. To your point on constantly sort of pushing the envelope, I think, again, that's such a great point because the longer you're at a company, the more people say, oh, we already tried that. And, you know, being willing to go out there and say, well, let's bring in some new information or there's some new technology or we have a new partner or the market has evolved or, you know, whatever the case might be, being willing to bring up some of those questions again, I think is also really important for success in the role. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, completely. So anything that, as you look back at your career, anything you wish you would have learned earlier? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I'm pretty happy with some of the things I've done, both personally and professionally. Um, but there's always a little bit of a, that, I guess, uh, hunger. Could I have done more? Could I have done better? Could I have done that product that worked with the team on, on making that product better? Um, so there's, there's a, always... I don't want to call it regret because it's not what it is at all, but um, mm-hmm. there's certainly a lot of, man, I, I could have done things a little bit differently and, and I could be in a different situation potentially. But um, overall, I would just sort of say, don't be afraid to, to speak up. Um, don't be, just be willing to, to ask, um, ask a lot of good questions Just sort of, uh, I, I think there have been times in my career where I, I stayed silent, um, where mm-hmm. I could have probably said something, um, you know, whether it's, uh, just again, sort of on a personal or perfect on a personal development level or also on a product, um, piece. So obviously being respectful, um, being, being mindful of, uh, of how you say or do things, but, um, asking kind of seeking, um, more information is, is always a good thing, um, to try to avoid some of the mistakes. But then again, you know, the mistakes are a lot of the things that you learn from, um, as well. So it's a bit of a balance of, uh, just trying to try to figure things out. Um, and everybody is going to be a little bit different, of course. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right on, and especially as a new product manager, it's finding the balance of how to bring up difficult conversations and how to navigate those. And sometimes earlier in your career, you might err on the side of being too quiet, and other times in your earlier in your career, you might have erred on the side of being too vocal, <laughs> or not, or not, you know, or not a, not of addressing it or. Uh, you know, bringing it up in, in a way that, you know, later in your career said, Oh, I would have handled it differently. And to your point, those are inevitable parts of, uh, of, of going through the, you know, your career, but it's good to know that it's okay to make those types of, and again, I wouldn't even call them mistakes. It's just, that's, that's part of the learning process. Right. 
It is. It absolutely is. And and I think uh, most people probably know, but you also sort of learn even within the teams and different people, everybody receives and takes feedback or even conversations a little bit differently. So it's a little bit of a learning curve of the same thing doesn't work for everybody. Um, and that includes me. You know, I, I, I think I probably work differently than a lot of other product managers at times. So it's the team also kind of learning me and trying to figure out the right balance of how we, we kind of bring the best out in each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any advice you'd give for people aspiring to get into the outdoor industry uh, or product management specifically? In product management, yeah, I think it goes back to that that piece about being uncomfortable, um, being okay with that piece. That's probably one of the, the key areas. Um, and just sort of being willing to to pivot, to change, um, because depending on the company, depending on even how the company is growing or not growing in some cases, um, the product manager role will evolve. Um, it can be a little bit of a catch-all in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need you to do this. You know, there's, it, it's, and I think you and I talked about this um a couple of weeks ago, but it's a little bit of a a GM or mini CEO role where when something is kind of not happening or not going right in a certain area, um, you need to go and help. And, and that could be anything from uh, a forecast to, and I, I use this bad example, but it's like, if you need to clean the toilets because nobody else is cleaning them and that's the best <laughs> thing that you could do for, for the company, but so be it. Um, that's what you got to do. So I would say, yeah, just in general, um, be willing and able to, to kind of jump into anything to to do what's better or best for the company. Yeah, and I think that's applicable for the actual product management role, and it's also applicable, um, in my opinion, for getting into the industry and getting into the role is trying to figure out how to get that foot in the door and, you know, whether that's being involved in production, whether that's being involved in development or sales or customer support. Uh, I've seen people come up through all of those parts of the business and end up in product management roles and be very successful. So, yeah, absolutely. And then when you do get the help, and this is actually one of my favorite things and, and something that's happened at, at Yeti is where I wore a lot more hats, I would say, when I first got there. And then we started getting our supply team uh, starting getting a little bit uh, more built out. Our demand team started getting more built out. So as people come in and help, mm-hmm. don't be afraid. It's like you you own everything, but you also own nothing. So don't be afraid to give up things. It's uh, take the help. Um, yeah. It only helps and it allows you as a product manager to focus on some of the things that you should be focusing on, on strategy and future roadmaps on different things that are going to really be, be driving um, long-term growth for the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also a great point. I have one more question that I that I really like to ask people, and I'm always interested in uh, in book advice or in book recommendations. Have there been any books that specifically career related or product management, you know, business related that have been impactful for you that you'd recommend? You know, I um, I sort of don't. I guess I don't read a ton of books. Um, over the years, the books that I've uh, honestly found a little bit more of a that are helpful for me at least are, are books like Into Thin Air, um, John Gower, just that, you know, obviously it's a, a tragedy that happened, but it's sort of a, a good learning. Mm-hmm. Um, John Muir has a bunch of quotables, um, not great to read long-term because it's not the most exciting reading, but um, mm-hmm. I do enjoy a lot of, uh, a lot of his quotables. Um, career-wise, there's a, there are a lot of things that um, could probably help people in general, but there's things like Strengths Finder, um, Emotional Intelligence, mm-hmm. Conversations. 
old books that I think help not just uh, someone in product management, but just someone in general. And, and a couple of these are on my reading list to, to get to and um, honestly kind of evolve my skill set a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Crucial Conversations is one that has not been mentioned by any guests, and I would highly recommend that book uh, to product managers or, or others. It's just a really uh, well-researched and, and re- very interesting book that I found really helpful. Yeah, that's on my reading list, so uh, i got to take my own advice there and, and get to it. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Well, Alex, like I said, really appreciate your time today. It's been great. I think people will learn a lot from your experience and background, and I appreciate you taking the time to share it with us here today. Thank you, Dawson. I really appreciate your time as well. This episode is brought to you by OutdoorPMSchool.com, an eight-week online course designed for aspiring outdoor industry product managers. Check out OutdoorPMSchool.com to learn more about who we are and how we can help.